for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Text today is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated. Dr. Pascal. Thank you. John, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. I've, been, I've enjoyed listening to John's preaching over the last several months. I've been blessed by it. It's nice to be invited back. It's always a good thing, and it's a joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, last week, Nina did a great job taking us through Hebrews 3, because chapter 3 begins a series of comparisons and contrast between Moses and Jesus, between the people of Moses' day, the Exodus generation, and the, and the people who were the readers or the listeners, really, of the book of Hebrews. And uh, the book of Hebrews there in chapter 3 is saying, more or less, as much as Israel had reason to obey God because of the great things that God had done through Moses, those hearing the leading of this sermon of Hebrews uh, have even more reason to act in faith given the fact that the, the, the role in the ministry of Jesus is even greater than Moses. And in chapter 4 we, we continue this line of thought until we reach these verses at the very end of chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we have to give an account. I find those verses a little scary. <laughs> I mean, it's talking about this, the word of God being active and living. The word of God aggressively seems to seek us out and engages us as, as if it had a mind and a will of its own. The word resembles a, a two-edged sword, a weapon that can cut us in two different directions. And as deadly as that sounds, the word of God is sharper and more fearsome than such a sword. A sword can cut bone from bone, you know, sever joint from bone. But the word of God penetrates dividing soul and spirit, exposing our thoughts, our motivations, our attitudes. The word of God gets into the very essence of who we are, and it lays bare our inmost self, revealing what we think, 
why we do what we do, who we are. The word leads us utterly vulnerable. And if that's not scary enough, listen to this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. We cannot deceive God. We cannot avoid God. Everything about us is laid naked before the God who judges us and all people. And we cannot hide from God. And and if the word of God does its job, it means we can't hide from ourselves either. Most people find this kind of vulnerability intimidating, if not downright petrifying. It reminds me of when I was in seminary in Kentucky. I worked for a little time uh, with a jewelry store at a mall there in Lexington. And they had a requirement that every six months, uh, the people who worked for the store had to take a lie detector test. And I remember I was told I needed to go down to this particular place. I went to the office, and they began to strap me in. You sat down, they put bands around your chest, they put sensors on your fingers, and then they began to ask you questions. I was so nervous, I was almost sweating. I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't stolen anything. I, hadn't, I, I was a good employee. But if he had asked me, name your 10 worst sins, I would have told him. I would have just laid it out there. And a lie detector pales in comparison with God's ability to know the true us. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And Hebrews is saying God intends to bring all that to the surface. Is that a good thing? (laughs) Well, Hebrews would say yes, because if we drop back a verse, we can see the reason why the Word of God is so searching and so revealing and that we need it. Hebrews 11, 4.11 says, Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. And if you were here last Sunday, you remember the context that Nina laid out for us, that uh, Hebrews 3 and 4 are, are looking back to a particular incident in the Old Testament, Numbers 13 and 14. God had delivered Israel from slavery. He had taken them through the Red Sea, destroyed the Egyptian army before their eyes, provided the miraculous manna every morning to feed them. And now they were on the edge of the promised land. And God was calling the people to enter the promised land. They had sent spies into the promised land. The spies came back saying, this is a rich and wonderful country. But most of the spies had one problem. They said, unfortunately, the people who live there are far too powerful, far too strong for us to overcome. And that sent the people into a panic. They rebelled. They decided it would be better to go back to Egypt, go back to slavery, than it would be to go in and get killed in the promised land. They began talking about electing new leaders and heading back. And two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, urged them, don't do this. Don't, don't, don't say no to God. Have faith, enter the promised land. And when they said that, they picked up stones and they wanted to kill them. And Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 to describe the problem. Verses 7 and 8 in chapter 3. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. The Hebrews' generation believes that Despite seeing and experiencing the miracles of the Exodus, they could not believe in or trust the God who had led them to this place. Instead, Scripture says they hardened their hearts. They turned from God. They tried to take control of their lives. They tried to create their own safety. 
And that's what hardening the heart means. It means I prefer what I know, what I can control, to what God promises. I trust me, not God. Now, I was recently listening to a a broadcast by the Christian psychiatrist, uh, Kurt Thompson. And Thompson is an expert in neurobiology, the biology of the brain. And he was describing what happens when things happen to us. As an event happens, and if it's a negative event, it's something that's painful or embarrassing. Uh, if, if we made a mistake and if we're embarrassed, uh, these events are recorded in our brains along neural pathways in a matter of two to three seconds. And once you've recorded this in your brain, when you go on in life and other similar things happen, what does the brain do? It goes back and reaccesses those old neural pathways and old feelings and old actions and kind of kicks them back into, into, into the present. Good feelings like joy and delight take much longer to form a neural pathway, something like 60 to 90 seconds. And that means that our brain tends to store a whole lot more negative responses and reactions uh, ready to use as tools to interpret the future than it does positive. And we find it much easier to return to the hurts and the, the difficulties of the past than the good ones. And so when we're under stress, when we're having problems, we tend to value fear over faith. When things are going wrong, we tend to go back to the negative and safety rather than engaging God. One of my favorite books is entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, by a philosopher, Cornelius Plantinga. And if you saw my copy, you know it's pretty roughed up. It looks pretty, pretty hard-lived because I, I read it and I found it so interesting over the years. And in one place, Plantinga says this, and he's kind of quoting St. Augustine. He says, our core problem, says St. Augustine, is that the human heart Ignoring God turns in on itself, tries to lift itself, wants to please itself, and ends up debasing itself. The person who reaches toward God and wants to please God gets, so to speak, stretched by this move and ennobled by the transcendence of the object. But the person who curves in on himself, who wants God's gift without God, who wants to satisfy the desires of a divided heart, ends up sagging and contracting into a little wad. And I think that's what the author of Hebrews is worried about. He's worried about his friends in the difficulties of life kind of sagging into a little wad. Listen to these verses from chapter 10. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partnered with those who were treated, so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The writer here knows that his people have struggled a lot. They've gone through hard times, and they've done well. Despite struggles, despite persecution and opposition, they've been willing to to lose property. They've been willing to identify with people who are in jail for their faith. They've been joyful in making sacrifices. But the author of Hebrews knows that when the going gets tough, good people can get worn out. 
He fears that his friends in the stress and weariness of, of trying to follow God and all the opposition may be tempted to kind of let go of the problems, pro let go of the promises of the gospel and slip back into old fears and ways of protecting themselves. This is why uh, Hebrews 4 leads us to these verses, chapter 4, verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You see, Hebrews is saying that God's word doesn't simply challenge people for the sake of challenging them. God's word does expose errors and God's word will reveal the motivation of our hearts. But God does this not to condemn Instead, God does this in order to, to make us want to run to Jesus, who knows us, who sympathizes with us, who empathizes with us, who is our great high priest. And in the face of this, the, uh, the author of Hebrew offers two words of direction. The first is this, let us hold fast to our confession. To hold fast to the confession means that when life is hard, when we failed, when we when we made a mess of it, then that's the time we need to take all of our strength and grab and hold on to the central confessions of our faith. That Christ died for them. That Christ, this same Christ, has experienced all the difficulties and temptations they have experienced and offers them understanding and sympathy. That he lives before God and prays before them and that God has promised to forgive them and give them grace and mercy. We have a Savior who really gets us who understands how we struggle. And when we're struggling, that's when we need to hold on to Jesus all the more. And his second direction is this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. And that word confidence has the, the, the sense of openness, of frankness, of kind of a fearlessness. It's saying that we need to approach God and just being completely who we are without worrying about anything else but coming to him because he is our help. That's what we need to remember. In the midst of problems, God is not our problem. God is our hope. We can draw near to God knowing that God wants to give us good gifts. God will show us mercy. God will help us. And the key is you got to keep coming to Jesus being open and honest about our failures and fears and doubts so that the one who loves us can take care of us. The scary ability of the Word of God to reveal our deepest, darkest secrets and failures is good news because we can let that truth drive us to Jesus again. The Christ who knows all about us, who died for us, who wants to lead us to the throne of grace and mercy. Of course, you know, we can ask the question, how does that connect with us now? I mean, we're not slaves who used to be in Egypt. We're not even experiencing persecution and opposition in prison the way that the people in Hebrews did. But it really doesn't matter because whatever problems you and I face, we still face the temptation to hide, to seek control, to trust our own ways of saving ourselves rather than trusting Jesus. 
And in the midst of trouble, it's still very easy for us to turn to old ways of coping with life, old habits of self-protection, not realizing that when we do that, we're really turning from Jesus. In order to hold on to what Jesus gives us, we must honestly and fearlessly reach for Jesus in the midst of struggles. And what can help us do this? Well, Hebrews gives us the first tool. Number one, the Word of God. The Word of God does exactly what Hebrews says. The Word will show me myself, reveal my true motivations and the consequences of my life and actions. I was talking with my wife about this sermon, Sandy, and she shared a moment in her life, and she said, I could share it with you. Uh, She was a teenager, 15 years old. She said, I was miserable. And then one day she was reading her Bible, and she was reading Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know it probably. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And she read that, and she suddenly thought, that's why I'm miserable. Am I trusting God with all my heart? No, I am not. Am I leaning on my own understanding? You bet, all the time. Do I acknowledge him in all my ways? Hardly. (laughs) No wonder my life's a mess. I've got it all wrong. And that scripture kind of challenged her to, to take stock of where her life was and to go in a completely different direction. That's what the word of God does. And by word of God, you know, I mean more than just the Bible. The Bible, first and foremost, is the word of God. It's the best way to hear the the voice of God in our life. But the word of God in Hebrews means more than just scripture written. It means means scripture preached, we hope, right, John? It means scripture taught. It means scripture that sometimes as it's applied and talked about in a a word of a godly person, uh, in a book of a godly person. But the key is this. We need some outside voice of God speaking to us, challenging us, revealing ourselves to ourselves so that we can turn to God. And I know this is not a simple thing because I know we can misinterpret God's word, right? People do it all the time. We can miss the point. The Israelites saw the miracles. They saw the the, the Egyptians die and the manna every morning. And yet when it came to a real crisis, they, they, they turned away from God. But we can, as Hebrews says, hold fast to our confession. We can come to the word of God and say, Lord, I give you permission to speak to me. Reveal my heart. Reveal my inner motivations and help me repent where I've sinned. Help me hope where I'm discouraged. Let me see your truth and know your mercy. And I'm telling you that if we come to God with that seeking heart, God speaks to us. And we can trust it. And there's a second step, which is just as important. We have to notice what's happening to us. Sometimes we talk about applying the Word of God. I I thought about that. That's a tame way to put it. Uh, Friends, we don't apply the Word of God. The Word of God applies itself to us. Uh, The Word of God comes as, as a tool of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to do heart surgery on us, to take us apart and put us back together. God wants to recreate our minds and our hearts. And and to do that, God asks for our attention, to be honest and to notice what we're doing and what we're feeling and how we're reacting and what it means. 
Uh, I mentioned Kurt Thompson earlier. I've been reading his book, The Anatomy of the Soul. And in it, he gives a hypothetical example of how a typical male might react to a problem at home. He comes home and immediately there's just a, you know, something in his wife's face and tone that immediately he knows he's in trouble. Uh, something bad is going to be said. Some criticism is going to come. And what does he do? He immediately looks down at his feet. Uh, and as Thompson puts it, you believe that this action will create distance and time. Your wife needs to forget that you exist and that she's angry with you for at least the next few minutes. It seldom works. I was reading this and I realized I, I have that reaction. I don't look at my feet. I don't do that. But I have my own way when I sense that someone is unhappy with me. I have this desire to hide. And my first move when someone is looking at me with that, I'm not quite kind. I'm not quite ready to be nice to you sort of look. is to ignore and to avoid that person. And I can testify to you that ignoring and avoiding doesn't work. God wants me to do something that, as Kurt Thompson puts it, is very counterintuitive. God wants me to ask, what's happening here? When I sense that fear in my heart, when I sense that desire to avoid and ignore, uh, I need to name it. I need to see it. I need to say, this is fear. It's not faith. Uh, and if I ignore and avoid, I'm choosing really sin over faith. Instead of loving my neighbor, I'm, I'm really undermining my relationships. Instead of calling it sin, I'm tempted to kind of double down into control and self-protection. For the Holy Spirit to do the deep work of remaking our hearts and minds, we have to be willing to notice and name what we're truly feeling, what we're truly doing, as the Word of God reveals it to us. And rather than using old habits of self-protection and control, God is calling us to trust Jesus, trust his forgiveness, to engage and be fearless. I have to say this is cutting edge for me. I don't know about you, but I have obliviousness down to a fine art. I can just, I can just shut out what's happening around me. Being aware of my feelings is not natural. It's not comfortable. But what I've learned the hard way is that if I, if I don't pay attention my feelings run my life anyway. So the last thing I'm learning to do is, is number three, practice moving into the uncomfortable and trusting God. Last week, uh, Sandy and I were in the car. We were picking up my granddaughter, and uh, Sandy asked me, are you feeling okay? And I knew immediately that meant things are not okay. Uh, she was experiencing me as distant or grumpy or something. I don't know. But, but I answered, yes, I'm fine. I knew it. I wasn't fine. Things weren't fine. But I was not keen to hear that things were not great. And I wasn't about to ask what she was perceiving. But the next day I was reading this chapter in Thompson's book. And I realized what I'd done. I'd reverted to my old patterns. I had ignored. I had avoided. I had let fear keep me from pursuing my relationship with Sandy. I don't like conflict. I don't like being criticized. And so I just don't go there. But the result is not safety and it's not life. It's ruptured relationships. It's death. So I took a breath and I asked Sandy to come in. I read her the part of book, the book that I've been reading, what I discovered. I confessed what I'd done the day before and how I often use 
that method of avoiding and, and ignoring to avoid pain and discomfort. Now, I don't give this to you as, as relational advice because it's not about relational advice. It's really about fear taking over. It's really about sin, refusing to love my neighbor as God calls me to love, to be engaged and to trust God instead of trusting myself. And my hope is that the next time I face a similar situation, that I will engage and trust instead of ignore and avoid. When I did it this one time, the good news is, hey, she didn't kill me. I'm good. I can remind myself, however someone reacts to me, I'm safe in Jesus. I do make mistakes, but I have a Savior who understands and forgives when I struggle and fail, I have a God who offers mercy and grace. I can repent and confess and really thrive. It's not easy. It takes work. It takes practice. You have to try it out. But over time, I trust that faith and being willing to face the truth is becoming more and more my way of life. Hebrew 4 tells us it's okay to have weaknesses. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to struggle. But we could take every weakness and failure and doubt and struggle to the one who understands us, who receives us with forgiveness and mercy, who takes us to the throne of grace when we need help. That's the sort of God we, we love and know, the God who is willing to receive us at our very worst and make us into his very best. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for Jesus, who, as Hebrews says, passed through the heavenlies, went through the process of dying for us, sacrificing for us, that we may be made new in him. You know, Lord, how easily fear and desire for comfort and safety takes over, and we want to hide and take care of ourselves. Oh, Lord, how much we lose when we do that. Give us instead, gracious God, a fearlessness that knows for sure that you are on our side, that trusts you and is willing for you to show us anything so that we may know everything through the goodness of Jesus Christ who loves us. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.